Amen. Blessed be the Lord God, Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. It's a powerful song, that Psalms 23. Reminder how God is with us in our trials and difficulty. Today our passage is going to look a lot about how God wants to be with us during our trials. And as I mentioned last week, I'm going to pick up where we were last week. I'm going to cover the same passage briefly because I want to show you how the passages we looked at last week connect to the passage at the end of the chapter 13. If you remember, this whole chapter, Luke 12 and 13, God has been addressing the religious Pharisees and religious leaders about their hypocrisy and their need to change. Right in the middle of that, there's a whole talk on eternity. And Jesus has launched into a speech about tragedy. What happened when a tower fell on somebody? What happened when Pilate killed some Galileans? And then he takes that story and immediately goes into a story about a vineyard dresser who wants fruit coming out of the ground from his tree. And then immediately the Holy Spirit in Luke put another story about a woman who is bent over and cannot straighten herself. Why would these three stories be put in that order? We're going to unpack that today, and we're going to look at this idea that God wants you and I to produce fruit from the ground of our life. He comes seeking fruit before we end up in the ground. God wants us to bear fruit from the ground before we end up in the ground. So after the story of this tragedy, he'll tell us that there's a keeper of the vineyard who for three years comes seeking fruit from the fig tree, and he finds none. So he says, well, let's cut the tree down then. It's using up the ground instead of bearing fruit from the ground. So again, this whole chapter has three movements. We all end up in the ground. Tragedy strikes at any moment. We're not guaranteed the next day. We need to bear fruit from the ground, this story of this vine dresser in the vineyard. And then this unique story about a woman who's bent over for 18 years. And somehow this relates to the previous two stories and how God wants to till the ground of our hearts. And as we unpack this together, I hope you're going to discover how to begin to see tragedy and difficulty and pain in your life in a new way. And how to find that God can produce fruit in your life even in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. And to see what God might ask you to do in response to his message of eternity. Let's begin with the first idea. We all end up in the ground. Summary of last week. Jesus basically begins by telling a story. They said, hey, how about those Galileans that got killed by Pilate? He mixed their blood with sacrifices. And Jesus says, yes, I know about that. But you don't think that those Galileans who died were worse sinners than those who didn't. No, I tell you no. But the bottom line is we all perish. You need to repent. We all end up in the ground. And you're not guaranteed tomorrow. He then cites another news story we talked about last week which was a tower that fell over. Now here's the piece I want to bring out I didn't bring out last time. He mentions 18 people were killed by that tower. Not many people, not half dozen. He specifically mentions 18 people. We're going to come back to that. 18 people are killed by a tower that fell over, and he again says, don't suppose this is karma. Do you suppose these were worse sinners? No, I tell you no. But the bottom line is, unless you repent or turn to God we're all going to likewise end up in the ground. So we all end up in the ground. So how are you using the time and life you have? Quick little details about Pilate. Pilate, the first reference here, 
was a tyrant. I mean, just a tyrant. In fact, they called him a cruel one. So much so that he was so cruel that the Romans banished him eventually. If you know anything of Roman culture, the Romans are barbaric. How bad must you be for the Romans to think you need to be kicked out of there? The Jews referred to Pilate as the beast. That was their nickname for him. He was in charge of the area of Judea, and he decided to get some money for an aqueduct, so he went in and raided the treasuries of the Jewish temple, which is probably where this bloodshed occurred when he was coming face to face with um, these Galileans that he ends up mingling with the blood of sacrifices. Josephus, the historian, records this in one of his uh, records. He says this, Pilate provoked a fresh uproar by expending upon the construction of an aqueduct, the sacred treasure known as Corbanus. He took the, the, the money for the treasury he took. Indignant at this proceeding, the populace formed a ring around the tribunal of Pilate and besieged him with angry clamor. Big mob, no, you're not going to do that. He, Pilate's a sharp guy, foreseeing the, the, the tumult, the, the, the fight, the, 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 the group, interspersed among the crowd of troop his own soldiers armed but disguised the civilian dress he told them to not use their swords but to beat any riders and so the people try and stop Pilate little do they know that the riders are filled with his own army who start beating the, the, the crowd but the Roman soldiers that got carried away and killed many of them and this is probably this or something like it what Jesus is referencing here he wasn't saying the people who got beat up and killed were worse off he just said, boy, we live in a broken world where people we love die and tragedy occurs and we all end up in the ground. And Jesus says, you never know how many days you have. So use your days well. Produce fruit from your life. Be with the people you love. Care for the people. Ask God what you can do in the dash you have because you never know how much time you have. That's his point. Now he also references this tower. Now, they actually found this pool of Siloam, where this tower fell over, in 2004. There was an Israeli construction company was digging for a sewer line, and as they were digging down, they found, sure enough, as they were putting in this line, this archaeological find. As they began to dig in this archaeological find, they found, sure enough, it was a pool. It was an old Roman bath. And the water supply actually connects to another pool in the temple. And so this pool, in reference, a couple of the areas where they reconstructed the wall, you can see a couple of the pillars are actually constructed into the wall in this area. Here's an artist rendering what it would look like in its day. So Jesus is saying, apparently, during the time and construction of this pool of Siloam, one of the towers falls over in an accident, and 18 people are killed. We all end up in the ground. And Jesus' point of application for you and I is that we're going to go through tragedy, we're going to go through difficulty. We're all mortal. And tragedy is a time to rethink and resuppose. Tragedy is a time to rethink your assumptions about God, life, and yourself. Look how he says it. Do you suppose, when you go through tragedy, you suppose certain things. Maybe prayer doesn't work because I've been praying for a long time and God's not answering those prayers. Time is a time to resuppose your assumptions about God. You might assume that the universe is mad at you or God is angry at you. Or maybe not even that. You just feel like God is distant. And because of the tragedy and the pain that God's allowed in your life, you start to suppose that maybe God is distant, maybe not interested in your pain. 
But Jesus says, no, it's a time to resuppose your supposings. To remind yourself that God is good. And that whatever difficulty you've gone through, it's not because God is mad at you or angry at you. God wants to draw near to you. That God wants you to rethink. He says, not only do you should suppose, but he says, do you think that those who are worth sinners? No. When you go through tragedy, it's a time to rethink your assumptions about God. Oh, this is, no purpose could come out of this. But to rethink, you know, God can work all things together for good. To rethink, how does God want to glorify himself through me in this situation? Tragedy is a time to resuppose your assumptions about difficulty and to rethink the lens by which you see your tragedy. So that's what he's saying here. Hey, we're all going to perish one day. So repent, or the word repent means to transform your thinking about God, life, and yourself. Then he launches into this vineyard passage parable right after this. And his main point is that, hey, we all end up in the ground. Look at the tragedies. But God is coming seeking you. And when he comes seeking you, he wants you to produce fruit from the ground, not just use up the ground. God has you on planet earth for a reason, for a purpose, to accomplish his kingdom. Look what he says. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came seeking fruit. And this is God in the parable. He wants fruit from your life. He says to the keeper of the vineyard, Hey, look, I've waited for three years. I've come seeking fruit from that fig tree. And I still find none. He finds none twice here in the passage. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground rather than bearing from the ground? That often in our lives, we're just using up our time, entertaining ourselves through life, busying ourselves through life. Are we just using up the ground, the time we have on earth? Or are we producing fruit from the ground? He answered, said to him, no, no, let it alone, sir. Let's give it one more year until I dig around it and fertilize it. And then if it bears fruit, well, then if not, you can cut it down. So the fig tree is almost always a symbol of Israel in Jesus' parables. And by application, uh, God's people, us, the church, but Israel specifically in the passage. And he says, when God comes, he's seeking fruit. He wants to see ripe fruit come out of your life. And how often do you run across folks? Or have you had a season of your life that you're sort of waiting for the rapture? You know, you're watching the news. Wow, this whole world's coming to hell in a handbasket. I just can't wait for Jesus to come back. I just can't wait to die. You know, maybe you lost somebody you care about. And you're just thinking that you've been widowed for a while. You're just thinking, God, I just, I, I don't want to go on. I want to be with you. But God hasn't brought you to him yet or your mother to him yet. And in that meantime, God doesn't want you just waiting for the rapture, just using up the ground to say, God, you've still got me here for a purpose. God, how do you want to use me to produce your fruit? And if you look at the fruit of your life, I've got to tell you this an awful lot of times that the fruit coming out of my life looks really good until you bite into it. And though it looks good, it tastes like fear and self-righteousness because it's not fruit produced by his Holy Spirit, but by self-sufficiency. And I'm a very resourceful person with a lot, a lot of perseverance. And I can produce a lot of fruit that looks good on the outside, but it's not Holy Spirit fruit. Does the fruit in your life come from the Holy Spirit when you taste of it, when other people taste of it? Does it taste like joy and peace and self-control? Does it bless the people around you with compassion and love and gentleness? 
Or does it taste like fear, self-righteousness, pride, or arrogance? When Jesus comes and walks up to your tree and how you're living your life, what does your life taste like? And if he doesn't sense that the full capacity of fruit from the Holy Spirit is coming out of your life, what does he do? It tells us what he does. God is relentlessly committed to producing his fruit in your life. He's relentless. So much so, he say, well, give it another year, and we're going to dig around it, and we're going to fertilize it until it bears fruit. That means God is willing to dig up your entire yard so that you'll produce fruit. And you've got this beautifully landscaped yard. It looks so pretty. Your reputation, the way you come across, your appearance looks so pretty. And God doesn't care. Because he's tasted the fruit and it's fake. And it's not his fruit. And God brings in the bulldozer and he starts hammering away and digging in your yard. He's digging around your yard causing chaos in your life. And not only that, after he's dug around your life and messed up your landscaping of your life, he then starts throwing manure all over your life. Look, he fertilized it. He puts manure all over your life. And you're like, what's with the manure? What's with the tearing up my yard? God's like, I want you to know the sweetness of producing fruit in your life that comes from me, not you. And if you're pretty self-sufficient like I am, Sometimes God's got to dig an awful lot into your yard and spread an awful lot of manure around till you start producing his fruit. And you don't understand it. Sometimes you're facing the tragedy saying, God, how can you love me? How can you, why are you doing this? Why are you messing up my yard? Why are you spreading this manure all over? I'll tell you why. Because you're using up the ground and he wants to produce fruit from the ground. We had a lot of chaos the week before my daughter got married. My son Quinn, as I mentioned, uh, I took him into the ER. I woke him up that morning, and when he turned over to look at me, I thought he had a golf ball in his mouth. I thought he somehow shoved it in the middle of the night. So I actually reached in to try and pull it out, and there was no golf ball. His face was just exploded. He's been grinding his teeth since he was first born, enough that he ground two of his teeth all the way down to the nerves. And that just caused massive infection. We rushed him to the ER. As we're in the ER, they're like, we've got to give this kid a, an IV. And now I'm trying to explain to an autistic nine-year-old why we're going to hold him down, four men, and we're going to shove a needle into his arm. Do you think he felt like he had loving parents? Do you think, like, oh, look at mom and dad, they care about me. No. For three days in the ER. But we did that because we were trying to rescue him and save him. Eventually put him into the OR where he went under and they yanked those two teeth out, pulled out all the infection. Two more teeth, he's almost ground down, yanked up four teeth. And all of a sudden, his body began to produce, not infection, but health. And God will sometimes hold you down and you will think that he is mad at you or angry at you or ticked off at you or doesn't understand you and you're praying these prayers he's not answering and God is saying, you got to trust me. I'm digging up your yard. I'm covering you with manure so that you can produce a harvest of fruit that comes not from your self-sufficiency, And even in that week, with so much going on for wedding, God again said, Chad, it's not about what you do, is are you trusting me to do the work? I'm going to put four days of non-accomplished time in the middle of the most busy week of your life. I remember we moved into a house in LaGrange, Georgia. We loved this house. We just got in, but it had been vacant for six months before we moved in. 
And so all the family came down for the move into the new house. And when we got in, of course, everyone was there. So we had laundry going on the second floor and the first floor and you know, toilets flushing from everybody being around. And because of that, all of a sudden the toilet would flush and blub, 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 bubbles would come up in the sink. This can't be good. More laundry would go down and blub, 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 bubbles would come up in the toilet. Oh, this was not good. So I went down to this gigantic crawl space we had. And they had this clean-out where the main uh, sewer line that went across the bottom of the whole house was massive, like 10 to 12 inches wide. And it extended the length of the house, like 40 feet. If you've ever done any plumbing, or if you haven't, the water lines are pressurized, but a a drain line is not. It's mostly empty. So you open it up, and it's mostly empty because the water slowly goes downhill. So I opened this. My father-in-law was standing right here. As I opened the (laughs) clean-out... expecting to look down and see, you know, 20, 30 feet in where the plug was, I popped it open. (laughs) The water was so pressurized from the weight of all the water in the house over the last 12 hours, the water jumped out of my sewer line like three feet, splattering me and splattering my father-in-law, disgusting mix of sewer and tied, actually, because there was a lot of laundry had been done. So it was a really unique smell. It was like, hmm, it's bad and good, or bad and good. And we looked down that sewer line, and we could not find the problem. It turned out it was in the front yard. So then we'd go in this beautifully landscaped yard of our new house. We'd get a shovel and start digging down, down, down. And we found there was one spot where the PVC pipe, somebody had not quite glued it exactly straight, just enough of a crack that a root had gotten in there. And over the last 18 months of being relatively unused, that root had filled up that line. But God is willing to cover you with manure, to dig into your yard, to get at what's going on under the surface. You're not tapped into. You're not leaning on his spirit to produce fruit. Now, from here, the Holy Spirit and God are going to put a story about a woman bent in half. Why is that story here? We all end up in the ground. You don't know how much time you have. Every day is a gift. So are you using the time you have to stay close to the Holy Spirit, to let him produce his fruit in your life? If not, he's going to put more circumstances in your life, dig around in your yard, so that you will produce the fruit. Or rather, he will produce the fruit through your dependence on him. And then, as if it's like, and now for something completely different... We launch into a story about Jesus and some religious leaders and a woman bent in half. What does this have to do with that? What's the connection? I want to propose to you that hidden in the midst of this woman's life is what it looks like to let God till the ground in your life. Here's how the account goes. God tills the ground in your life and he uses this woman as an example. He was teaching one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of affirmity 18 years. Huh, 18 showed up again. And she was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. This was her existence for 18 years. She's bent out of shape. She cannot straighten herself up. When Jesus saw her, he said to her, Woman, you are loosed from infirmity. He laid his hands on her. And immediately, 
she who could not raise herself up was made straight, passive. It was done to her by Jesus. And she glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue, same rulers he's been addressing in chapter 12 and chapter 13, answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He said to the crowd, "Ah, there are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them. Jesus heals a lot of people. But almost every time the specific person healed is put in the Bible for a reason. Did Jesus really heal her? Of course. But the Holy Spirit in Luke has placed this story of this woman here because she is an object lesson to you and I and to the religious leaders he's been addressing. An object lesson of what? The religious leaders are just like her. They are bent out of shape. They are not producing fruit. They are not leading Israel, the fig tree, to produce fruit. And they are bent out of shape because they are bound by Satan. He is using their sphere, he's using their influence to limit what God wants to do in their life. And these religious leaders, just like this woman cannot straighten themselves out. They cannot get themselves unbent. Not by their own efforts, not by their own challenges, not by their own willpower. They need exactly what this woman needs. What she could not do for herself, producing her own fruit, she found in meeting Jesus. He could straighten her out. He could take a tree that was all gnarled up and he could straighten it out to produce fruit. And Jesus produces the fruit in her that she could not produce in herself. And now we contrast she who reached out to Jesus to straighten her from this Pharisee who is bent out of shape, cannot straighten himself, and Jesus is going to rebuke him with the harshest of words, that he is more bent out of shape spiritually than she was physically. But she knew to call out to Jesus, and he doesn't. And Jesus turns to him and says this. He finishes his speech. Therefore, come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord answered him and said, You hypocrite! Does not each one of you on the Sabbath, you're willing to loose an ox or a donkey from the stall and lead it to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan was bound? Think of it, he says. Think of it. She's been bent over like this for, says it a third time now in the chapter, 18 years. Think of it. Not your religious rules and regulations. Think of this woman. Think of it from her perspective. 18 years. Imagine what her life must have been like for 18 years to not be able to bend. Her whole life was knee level. Did she keep her hair up? Think of the stares and the comments. Think of what it was like to try and eat and swallow uphill. To lay down. Think of it, 18 years. Try it just just for an hour. Just for five minutes, walk around like this. If you had back problems, you know when your back is out, everything is affected. 
for a week, a month. But think of it, Jesus says, 18 years she's been like this. 18 years. And yet, she is still going to synagogue seeking God's will. There is nothing like sickness and pain to have you feel distant from God. And after 18 years of being in incredible pain, she is still seeking God in synagogue. And Jesus says, I'm going to lose her. Because she's not only an object lesson of somebody who's bent out of shape, who needs to be realigned. She's also an object lesson of how to get back in shape. You cry out to Jesus and he reshapes you. So he hammers them with this, think of this. And then, let's go back to this 18. Now we're going to look at the whole chapter again. I told you, that's why I wanted to touch on this whole, series, this whole chapter. Three times the word 18 has been used now in this chapter. Jesus could have said anything, but he said 18 people, not half dozen, were killed when the tower fell. 18 was how many years she was affirmed. And then he says, think of it! 18 years. Now that phrase, 18, may not mean a lot to us, because we just think, oh, he's given us a number. But almost every time a detail like that is put in a Jewish writing, it's not only the quantity, it's also symbolic of something. It's saying, think of it. It would be like me telling a story. Hey, last week after I spoke, it was like four score and seven years ago that my wife and I decided to hop on an airplane and go down to the Bahamas. We were there for a bit of time, felt like four score and seven years, and then we got back in the airplane, took a little bit of time, it was a long time waiting for the plane, about four score and seven years. I mean, not exactly that, but it felt that way. And then we returned. You say, that's weird that Chad would reference four score and seven years three times. That's an odd thing to drop into a story that doesn't, it applies, but doesn't totally apply. There's a principle in studying of Torah called first occurrence. That when a phrase is used, you go back to when is the first occurrence of this phrase or this concept in the Torah and Jesus will often cite this, like four score and seven years ago, go back and read the speech. 18 has a first occurrence in the book of Judges. And look what happens in the book of Judges. First time, 18 appears. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab. They were under punishment. They were having their life dug up and fertilized with manure. They were under punishment from the Philistines and the king Eglon. And how long were they under punishment? Oh, 18 years. But... When they were under punished for 18 years, they knew what to do to get rebent into shape. They knew what to do to get realigned to God. They knew what to do in order to start producing fruit. What do you do? The children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Just like this woman cried out to the Lord. And what does God do when you cry out to the Lord? First occurrence in Judges, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. And to the Pharisees, 18, 18, 18, when you're under punishment, when you're under Roman occupation, you know what you should be doing? Crying out to the Lord to straighten you out. And you know what God does when you cry out to him? He sends you a judge, a priest, a prophet. He sends you a deliverer. Guess what he's doing right here, right now in their midst? He sent the ultimate prophet and the ultimate deliverer. And the ultimate one. So this woman had cried out to the Lord to straighten her out. 
And yet this Pharisee is so caught up in his religiosity, so caught up in his pride and fear and do this and don't do that and control this and don't control that, that he does not see that he's out of shape. He does not see that his time is short. He hasn't allowed God to till the ground in his life. How do you let God till the ground? You stop trying to do it yourself. You say, God, you need, I need to admit I've been out of shape and I can't unbend myself. And I need you to straighten me out. And I need to cry out for your deliverance. I need you to be, deliver me from my self-righteousness. Deliver me from my self-sufficiency. Deliver me from my bitterness. And that is why I believe the Holy Spirit has placed these three stories back to back to back. Because they are one consistent story of what God is calling us to do. So what would our key takeaway be from this? Well, so many, really, that we've already mentioned. But I think two main ones I want to look at. What does it look like for us to use fertilizer, whatever tragedy, whatever difficulty God's put in our ground, whether we like the manure or the digging in our life or not, but the mindset is, God, how can you use the fertilizer in my life to bear fruit? That's what God wants us to do. We had that happen about a month ago in the middle of all this strain and difficulty. My wife and I had this just encounter where we both really hurt each other. And so we say, hey, let's spend some time. You go do some journaling. I'll do some journaling. Let's just ask God to sort of straighten us out. So we both did some time. We came back together. We apologized to each other. And I apologized for some specific things, several pages of things. And she apologized for several things. And then we felt like, you know what? This was such a tender moment. We need to also, how can God use this circumstance to extend that? And so we called the family meeting together. We got a babysitter. We got everybody around the family table. And we said, all right, we, we want to let you know that, you know, some of you witnessed that mom and I hurt each other. We want to apologize in front of the kids. So my son's there and my, my daughter's there and my, my son-in-law's there. And so we apologize in front of each other because we want to model uh, our own brokenness. We were bent out of shape. We need God to fix us. And then we said, you know what? You guys are going to be married in about a week and you're going to present your vows. We want to renew our vows a week before uh, you guys do yours to show you that part of committing to one another is being renewing your vows 24 years into marriage is just as important as when you first get married. So my wife actually had a copy of our vows, our original vows. Huh. So we pulled them out. And so uh, kind of having this, you know, almost like a sitcom moment, you know, it's kind of this tender moment. You, know, you almost hear the music playing underneath and, you know, so, you know, I, you know it's a really tender moment. Could have been. Uh, and so uh, we turned to uh, my son and I said, hey, uh, Javen, why don't you read the, the vows for me and, and, and keep in mind that there's some his and hers. Um, he goes, oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. But Javen's not particularly great at cursive and it was a little sloppy writing anyway. So Javen starts saying, do you, Chad, I, Chad, take you, Beth, take you, Beth, to be my lawfully wedded husband slash wife. Just the wife part. Okay, okay, so, oh, oh you, you leave that part, okay. And you promise to take him, her, just her, okay, him. And then we got a little bit later on, in sickness and health. And he's like, he says, okay, Dad, repeat after me. Um, in pickles and health. <laughs> I don't think it says pickles, Javen. So he reads again. Oh, sorry, in, in dickness and health. No, 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 it's not what it's, not what it's Sickness, sickness and health. So I finally, and so now we're all laughing together. We're having this, this real funny moment around the kitchen table. So I'm like, all right, you know what? Thank you. Good job. <laughs> Sierra, why don't you read uh, for mom? My daughter has dyslexia. And uh, do you, Beth? Yep, take you, Chad. Take you, Chad. Uh, to be my lawful husband, da, 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 have and hold. And do you promise to love, to love, to confront him? To confront him? 
That is not, what is he? That, that's to comfort. We are not going to have mom promise to confront me here as part of the renewal of the vows. So anyway, it just became a, a funny moment in our, in our family. But we really felt like, hey, we never pretend to be perfect. But when you're not perfect, you say, God, bend me back in shape. And then whatever fertilizer I caused or was caused by life, how can I use that to produce fruit, to model for those around us what it is to try and live for Jesus? I don't know what God's put in your life, what circumstances have come upon you or that you have caused, but God wants the mindset of our life to say, God, use the fertilizer, dig up the yard if you need to, but straighten me out so that I'm bearing the fruit you want for me. And secondly, what does it mean to get straightened out in line with God? It's going to be different for each one of us. I went flying recently. I've been learning how to fly. So a guy in the church took him out in his plane about a month ago. And when we were flying together, he said, yeah, I got to tell you, I've been learning so much about the Bible. He said, one of the things that's really helped me in that process, he said, can I tell you about how I really came to get free from guilt and shame? I said, sure. He said, I couldn't straighten myself out. I grew up in a church experience that told me not to read the Bible, so I started reading the Bible because somebody invited me into a Bible study. And then I found the more I read the Bible, the more I wanted to read the Bible. And my wife thought I was kind of getting too fundamental and too sort of crazy about this whole thing, reading the Bible all the time, until she went through cancer. And she said, maybe I'll start reading the Bible. And she'd been reading the Bible for a few months, and she said, you know what I'm finding? He says, what's that? She said, the more I read the Bible, the more I want to read the Bible. He said, that's exactly what I said. He said, but despite all that, I could not get free from the guilt and shame that I wasn't good enough. I just wasn't good enough. He said, I'll never forget this moment. I was praying, just crying out to God. God, help me know that I'm acceptable to you. He said, I was in my kitchen. And he goes, the best way I can describe it is a vision. I don't know if it really was, but it's what it felt like. It was a vision of Jesus as I was crying out to him in my kitchen. God, help me know I'm forgiven. It was like Jesus in a glowing white robe put his hand on my head, began to stroke the back of my head. He said, Bill, but how do you feel towards your son, Billy, when he makes mistakes or does things wrong? What do you do? He says, well, I forgive him. He says, Bill, that's exactly what I've done for you. He said, as simple as that was, it was more powerful than a hundred sermons to know that Jesus forgives me and sees me as his forgiven son. He goes, I've been to weep in my kitchen. Knowing that the message of the Bible is that God makes you a son, a forgiven son. And the more you tap into your sonship, the more the roots go deep into your sonship, the more he straightens you out and you begin to live out of that sonship. And that's what God has called us to do as his followers. To produce fruit while we're here. To impact the world around us. Let's pray and i got one final announcement. Father, thank you for this powerful but challenging message. That each one of us would not just use up the ground, but that we would bear fruit from the ground in our current circumstances. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we leave today, I know many of you have uh, been giving to our giving campaign for our video project. I want to say thank you for that. If you're still praying about that, there's other ways you can give. And this is a really great season of our church that we love to give to our immediate community. We have a giving tree that you'll see out by the fireplace. You can go and grab some ornaments off that, kind of cardboard ornaments that are ways we can give. The gifts that we'll be collecting, you do not wrap these gifts. You bring those back. We're giving them uh, part of our partnership with Interparish Ministries. 
City Gospel and Happy Church. So I know there's so many ways to be generous around the horizon, but for these next five weeks, this is one of the ways we bless our city and bless our community. So as you're looking at your giving and the way you give your time, uh, join us in bearing fruit right here in Cincinnati. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.